Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of You Can't Handle the Truth. Today's episode, I'm yeah, I'm kind of happy about it. It's it's a weird one to talk about, okay? It's a very weird thing to talk about. It's good. I wanna say first and foremost, this film is great, this film is very good. It's just extremely weird and strange and confusing and yeah. We'll get into that. So the film today I'm going to be talking about is The Green Knight. Now the thing about The Green Knight is how I've been excited for this film for a very very long time since the first teaser came out I think last year because it was due to come out last summer and then it got delayed you know for obvious reasons but now it's finally seeing the light of day but just before it was due to come out (laughs) it was due to come out on August the 6th I believe yeah the 6th of August and about two weeks, kind of been that long before, but yeah, just a couple of weeks before, it got delayed. They removed it from the schedule indefinitely. There was no proper release date after that for people in England, but in America they got it on the 25th or 27th of July. So I'm thinking, what the hell? Why are you mugging us off but still letting America have it when the whole reason it's getting delayed is because of the worry in America? The whole reason these films right now are getting delayed again is because of the Delta variant in America. So why was it only the UK that suffered from this? I don't understand it. You can still release it in America, but you delay it for the rest of us. Like, what the hell? Cinemas have been open here since May, and you're delaying a film now. What? Anyway, finally... Well, okay, I should mention that I, I'm i definitely watching this on the day of release. Okay, definitely. It's not like it came out on demand in America before and I've watched it since then. God no, it's the 24th of August right now. Today is the 20... No, September. It's the 24th of September today. <laughs> Oops. 24th of September today. It's um, it's just come out on Prime and in cinemas, I believe. I do not know. <laughs> Apparently it's coming out at the same time in cinemas as being released on Prime, but we'll see. Either way, it's definitely 24th of September today, and it's just come out on Prime, so I've just watched it, and now I'm going to be talking about it. Uh, The Green Knight, yeah, where to begin? This is the spoiler review. The first thing to mention is how this is based on an incredibly old poem that nobody knows who the author is. It was just kind of a lost, unknown poem about the Arthurian legend and Sir Gawain. Gawain? Garwin? Here's the thing. So many people pronounce his name differently. It's spelt G-A-W... A-I-N, Gawain, but people call him Garwin, people call him Garwain, Gawain, Garwin, whatever. Just, yeah, I'm just going to go with Garwin, because that's how the king says it. So, yeah, the whole story is about how King Garwin, King Garwin, he's not King Garwin. Garwin is soon to be a knight, and I believe he's the nephew of King Arthur. So what I love about this whole story, and this film especially, is how we're getting this Arthurian tale but it's not focusing on King Arthur because we've had so many adaptations and versions of this kind of story about Excalibur pulling the sword from the stone, King Arthur, all of them focus on that King, all of them focus on Arthur. And I think, you know, as much as Arthur is cool, like I did enjoy the King Arthur film from 2017, 2017, 2016. I don't know. Either way, the Guy Ritchie film, I actually liked that film. Now we're getting a different take on a similar legend, but just a different person. And I think I'm all for that. I'm all for exploring this mythology, but from a different perspective, from a different person's point of view. I think that's great. So, yeah, what this film does so well is it plays into the idea that this story is unknown and it's been told through many generations. Nobody knows where it originated properly. Nobody knows who it's by. 
What's beautiful about this film, especially at the start, is how when the title comes up, there's no official Green Knight title until the end. But one of the main title cards that comes up is Sagarwin and the... So that's when the Green Knight should come in. But for this Sagarwin part, the font keeps changing and it goes through all sorts of different styles. Similar to the Loki intro, if you've seen Loki and that whole changing logo font, that's similar to what this does. But I like that because it's kind of given the idea that it's been told over many different years with many different styles and many different stories, I guess. So there's no real one definitive answer to it. So I like that. And then it's very weird. Okay, It's very strange. There's no denying. This film is strange. This film is a very weird movie, but it's great. And yeah, it's definitely not for everybody. 100%. You are either going to love it or you're going to hate it. People are going to think it's too slow. They're going to think it's rubbish and just dull and boring. They'd be right. You know, this film is pretty dull at times, but that's kind of what makes it work so well. As I was watching it for the second time, I think maybe a third. I think I watched it once. I skimmed through it another time. And now I've watched it again. And I was taking notes this time. So I was constantly keeping a check of what I wanted to talk about. And I mean, most of the stuff I wrote down was just colours, powerful, opening shot, gorgeous. What the hell is going on? Colours, great. Red filter, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of stylistic things to talk about with this film. And I did write all this down in chronological order, so maybe I'll just go through this review in chronological order as well. Either way, the opening shot is phenomenal. The opening shot is one of my favourite shots. I'd say in a very long time, maybe ever, it's just phenomenal. Okay, it's absolutely gorgeous. And I saw this shot in the trailer and I was thinking, I really love that shot. I hope it's done justice in the actual film. And it is. And to start with this shot is just, yeah, it's pretty impressive. So from that point onwards, you kind of know what you're in for. It's going to be a very beautiful looking film. It's just maybe some of the elements and some of the substance areas, they're not exactly uh, for everybody. Yeah, for everybody, I'd say. They're not bad. I mean, some people will think they're bad, but I don't. I just think... It's definitely not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but that's okay, because this film isn't meant to be appealing to everybody. It's meant to be appealing to a specific type of audience, and it does that very well. You know, It knows the audience it's going for, and it kind of sticks the landing. It nails who it's designed for, but then again, everybody that it isn't designed for, they're going to watch it, or they're going to see it and think, this is absolutely awful, but it's not. It's just not for them, but that's fine, because not everything has to work for everybody, so... I like what the director, David Lowry, has done here. I like the fact that he isn't catering to a wider audience. He's going for a much more niche audience, and he knows that the people that this will appeal to, they will love it, and they'll think it's phenomenal. And it is. And especially if you've read the poem, if you've studied this poem at school, wherever, if you've heard it, it's probably... This is the thing. It's worth reading and knowing about beforehand, but at the same time, you can easily just come into this film without any knowledge of what the hell is going on, because, yeah, for a lot of it, you will still not know what the hell is going on, but it doesn't matter too much, necessarily, if you haven't read the poem, or if you don't know who Garwin is, who the Green Knight is. Everything that needs to be explained is explained, and everything that isn't explained, you don't really need to worry about it. It's just full of ambiguity and just complete nonsense at times, like genuinely nonsensical stuff that happens, but, yeah, it works. It works. Right, love, 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 getting interrupted by a phone call from my mother. Okay, so the main thing I got from this film, and people can argue about it, people 
could debate it for the next 30 odd years like they did with Die Hard. This is a Christmas film. Okay, this is a Christmas film. <laughs> it's set at Christmas. It's all about a Christmas game. It's a Christmas film. That's what it is. <laughs> and here's the thing. They talk about how it's a Christmas game. And the whole idea of this game is to land a blow on the Green Knight. And in a year's time, he'll then repay the blow. So then Garwin goes and beheads the Green Knight. So I'm thinking, this probably isn't the only Christmas game that could end in a beheading. I mean, just play Scrabble with your family at Christmas. That's going to end in tears. It's going to end exactly like this Green Knight situation. So yeah, Christmas film, Christmas game. I thought it was funny and I really hope people, you know, genuinely agree that it's a Christmas game because there are so many times throughout, especially Joel Edgerton's character who comes into it very later on. He's all about, he, he's basically Santa. Like, he is Santa. He's giving him gifts and he's saying, it's Christmas, enjoy, you know, it, it's Santa. He's Santa. Here is the thing. The Green Knight comes into it. He's summoned by his mother, who's a witch. And I'm thinking, has her mother just, like, killed her son? Is this kind of her way of getting him to do something with his life i don't know but the green knight says you must strike me and in a year's time i will strike you in the same place now at this point i'm thinking why is garwin so determined to chop his head off why is he decapitating this guy this big tree why is he doing that why didn't you just kick him in the nuts you know why didn't you just kick him in the acorns be done with it and then in a year's time get kicked in the nuts back you know just do that, or just slash his arm a little bit, it doesn't matter, just, why are you chopping his head off, I don't understand, because it's not even like he was threatening him, he literally just stood there, he kneeled down at one point, and he was saying, there you go, just, you know, take the shot, take the bloody shot, cut my head off, but why, why is he so determined to prove what, it's a big tree that's just walked into their massive gathering, and now he's thinking, oi, oi, I better chop this guy's head off, I really, because you know, he's just said in this really weird voice that inhabits the body of the Queen, and she's speaking through the Green Knight. Now, the Green Knight is speaking through her, I should say, and her eyes are going green, her eyes are creepy. She's very creepy in that situation. The Queen gives me the creeps anyway. Like, Kate Dickey plays her, she's a good actor, but yeah, she kind of just really scares me, actually. She looks really frail and, like, skeleton-like in this film. I don't like it, but... Then again, I think that's the vibe it's going for, with the king and queen looking so ancient, so old. It's not about them, you know, it's really not about them, and yeah, creepy, but it works. But the Green Knight speaks through her, it's very scary, it's very uncomfortable. And then he's heard, everybody in this room has heard, you will strike me in a place, a year's time, I will do the same to you. Why chop his head off? Like, honestly, why? I don't know, but one thing's for sure, this looked beautiful when he did, and the colours that they used... The way the blood was just seeping around them. Everything looked phenomenal. Okay, the colours in this film are just really special. And there are certain times during this... I don't want to say battle, because it's not a battle at all. He just chops a tree's head off. But during this scene, there's so many shots that are just gorgeous. And there's one in particular. It's a God's eye view looking straight down on them. And the only bit of light in this frame comes from the circular hole in the roof. And the frame is just gorgeous. But there's just a circle of light on the floor... And there's blood around it and he's standing there over the body and the head of this green knight. And it just looks amazing. It looks so good. There are so many shots in this film that you could just frame. Just like literally frame them. Stick them up on your wall. Print them out. Just do whatever with them. Canvas. Paint it. Just anything. So many shots in this film. Almost every single shot in fact 
It's a work of art. It's an absolute work of art. The framing, the cinematography, the mise-en-scene, absolutely every little detail. And I knew this from the trailer. I knew it from the second I saw the trailer. This is going to be one of the most beautiful films in a very long time. And it is. And I would be very, very disappointed if the cinematography and the directing, maybe maybe especially the cinematography, I don't know about directing, but he's a great director and he directs the hell out of this film. But that being said, the cinematography of all things needs a nomination when we get into the award season. Like Oscars, BAFTAs, this film needs a cinematography nomination. And if it doesn't, I'm going to riot because what films are you watching that are better than this? Not a lot. But anyway, after he chops his head off, he should have just kicked him in the nuts. But, you know, I'd be fine with that. If a massive tree came into my room and said, you must land a blow on me and in one year's time I shall repay that blow. I am Groot. You know, I was expecting him to fully just say that he's Groot. But yeah, if that wandered into my room, I would just punch him or kick him straight in the nuts because I knew in a year's time, that's the worst I've got to deal with. Yeah, it might hurt, but I don't care. I'd rather that than get my head chopped off. Wouldn't anybody? But then he chops his head off and then everybody starts clapping. They're all like, way Garwin, you're amazing. What a legend. He's just signed his death sentence. He's literally just signed on the dotted line to get his head chopped off in a year's time. Why is everybody cheering and clapping? It's not even like he did anything special. He's beheaded somebody that was letting him. It's not even like there was a fight to the death. You know, he just stood there, let him have it, and everybody just starts cheering and clapping. I'm thinking, okay, this is how they do it in Arthur times. I don't know. But then a year goes by and they keep transitioning through the seasons and it's done very cleverly. The way this film transitions over time and just the passing of time is so good in this film. It's unique and it's clever and I really like that aspect. And there are so many other transitions and cuts in this film that are just so good. I'm not even going to talk about them too much because I'm getting off topic. I want to crack on and get to the end of my notes. But yeah, the transitions, there are so many great ones. There's one, for instance, quite early on after he's beheaded the Green Knight. It's a shot of a painting of him and then it crossfades from the face of the painting into the face of his actual you know, self. And I think that's gorgeous. That's so good. There are so many amazing moments in this film. And then comes in Essel. Now, Essel, I think that's her name, Essel. Yeah, Essel is a funny character, not least because of her accent. And when she's talking about what did it feel, what did it feel like? What did it feel like? <laughs> when she talks about beheading the Green Knight and she says, what did that feel like? <laughs> he goes, it felt like chopping a watermelon in half. And then she goes, and what does that feel like? You know, it's funny. It's just funny to hear these accents. And Alicia Vikander plays her. And it's good to see Alicia Vikander getting more films now. Because I'm pretty sure she must have taken a break from Hollywood. Because I don't remember seeing her in much or anything after Tomb Raider back in 2018. But now she's had at least two films out in the last couple of weeks and months. And now she's getting another couple in the next few months. So... Yeah, it's good to see her getting some more roles again. She's so good. But in this film, she's got a hilarious accent. And when she keeps asking him... <laughs> she keeps asking him if she's his lady. But she doesn't say lady. She says, lady, lady. <laughs> Am I your lady? <laughs> Things like this. Yeah, they just crack me up. They really do crack me up. But she says it a couple of times. She says, you'll be my man and I'll be your lady. Lady. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. The accents in this film are one of the funniest and best things because it is just so classic Arthurian olden time language, you know, but it's brilliant. It's so good. 
my old lady. <laughs> oh, I love it. But then she says a really, really powerful quote, and I've, I wrote it down because I love it so much. He's all about wanting to be great, and he's wanting greatness. That's why he's going to go and meet the Green Knight and fulfil, you know, kind of the destiny, I guess, but fulfil the challenge, fulfil the debt that's been owed. And so she says, why do you want greatness? Why is goodness not enough? And I'm thinking, that's great because so many people strive for greatness. So many people strive to just being great when they're already good. But why aren't they just happy and satisfied with being good? Because it takes a lot more to be happy with being good than to keep wanting to push on for greatness. So I think I love quotes like that. I love the way it's said, mainly because she says it in a funny accent. But I do like that saying. I do like the idea that you don't always have to go for greatness when you're already good. And a lot of people... A lot of people aren't good anyway. A lot of people are far from good. So yeah, why go on to that greatness when being good is just more than enough sometimes? So then after these really interesting quotes and lady, there's a really, really long held shot of him just riding a horse out of Camelot. I assume it's Camelot. Here's the thing, it's never actually explained where they are. But if my Arthurian knowledge is correct, it would make this Camelot. I mean, I'm not sure. I could be totally wrong on that, but... I'm going to say it's Camelot. It looked quite prestigious like that. So either way, wherever he's leaving, the first shot of him on his journey is just, I don't know, it must be a minute, over a minute long. And it's just a shot of him riding his horse away. And there are kids following him at times. And there's a sheep herder that goes past. But it literally is just him riding his horse. There's not even any dialogue from him. He's just riding his horse. <laughs> Maybe that's boring. Maybe that's boring to people. But to me... <laughs> To me, that's interesting. To me, that's really quite stylistically beautiful. And it's just a journey. You know, this is the thing. This film is one massive journey from that point onwards. I think that's about half an hour into it. For the next hour, it is just him on a journey. Then he makes it to the Green Chapel and he makes it to the Green Knight. And yeah, but for this hour, for at least over an hour, actually, it's just a journey. So it is just pretty slow, pretty dull, pretty boring at times. But that's what it is, you know. Not many journeys like this are that exciting. I mean, I know it's not the destination, it's the journey and whatnot. But, you know, when you're in the middle of nowhere, literally just riding a horse, it can get pretty boring, I imagine. So, yeah, great. And the scenery, the locations look amazing. Here's the thing. I was wondering, where the hell did they shoot this? Because you've got just this vast landscape with nothing in sight. And I don't know where the hell it was shot. Because how are you finding somewhere like this that isn't in the old... 1600s whenever this film is set how are you finding this like where is it i don't know and it's clearly i mean if it is then i'll be i'll be damned but it's clearly not just in a studio or in front of a green screen it's 100 not because you can tell they're actually there you can tell they're all shooting on location i just don't know where i really don't but yeah after a really long held shot of him just riding his horse he then crosses a battlefield and he meets the first helper but he's not really a helper he's a bad guy but he meets the first side character on his quest at this point and this scene again very very well shot scene it's just a really long held one take of him riding across the battlefield being talked to and being followed by this guy that's walking alongside him played by barry keoghan barry barry Kogan. i don't know how to pronounce his last name he's in dunkirk and he's going to be in eternals good actor very good actor and in this he's strange he's very strange in this but he's funny as well because he's got an accent that makes me laugh as well but yeah they're walking across this battlefield and it's really quite 
disturbing once it reaches the end. There's another great line in this scene. He notices the axe that's on the horse with Garwin, and he says something along the lines of, have you used that to kill people? And then Garwin goes here and there, and then this stranger goes here as a question. And then Garwin just goes mainly there, and I think that's great. So you've got <laughs> here and there, here, there. <laughs> I do like that, little things like that. The script is fantastic. The script is very well written, and the story is fantastic. The story is more of an adaptation of the original poem, because there are certain elements in this film that aren't in the poem, which I'll get onto in a minute with the whole Winifred scene. But I think what they have included from the poem and what they have included from elsewhere, from other mythology, I think it's fantastic. I think they really have a clear passion for this whole universe and this whole idea. And what they do with it is fantastic. So the writing, the story, everything is brilliant. And so many moments in this script where I just thought, that's gorgeous. But then that's also funny because he gets to the end of the battlefield and the stranger gives him directions. But then he starts to like freak out because all Garwin says is thank you. He doesn't give him any reward. He just says my many thanks to you. And then he starts freaking out and he's saying, are my directions not worth anything to you? And he starts following him and yeah, it's very scary actually. It's very unsettling when you're being followed by this guy who's just been wandering with you for the whole length of the battlefield. And then he's kind of just losing his rag and getting a bit angry. So I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all because you know, that's relatable. That sort of thing can happen when you're just walking out in everyday life. You know, that happens. Very scary, and then it turns out he should be scared because he then gets ambushed and attacked by this guy and tied up and left for dead pretty much. And then he keeps saying, Twarn't enough, just twarn't enough. <laughs> I love it, I love the accents. It's just so authentic. Twarn't, not it weren't, not it wasn't, it wasn't enough. No, twarn't enough. <laughs> Brilliant. And the subtitles as well. The subtitles for this bit do just read twarn't enough, so I thought, brilliant, I love that. But then once he's tied up, the camera does a 360 degrees pan round and it then shows a corpse. To me, this feels like foreshadowing that he, you know, he could end up dead if he doesn't get out of this situation, of course. But yeah, I love this shot because it does just go all the way around. So if it went 180 degrees, you'd think, OK, he's looking at this dead body. But because it goes to full 360 round and the corpse is wearing similar clothes to what Garwin's wearing, you do get this impression that, oh, God, is he dead? But then it goes background 360 and then he's struggling again. And yeah, that kind of just real subtle foreshadowing. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. But then he manages to escape, which is good. Then he meets St. Winifred. And Winifred in this scene is just, it's so, so well done. This kind of scene in particular would be the kind of thing you expect to see on a film studies course. So, you know, I'm used to analysing scenes and picking apart different moments from films and for me this feels like a hundred percent the type of thing that could be shown on it in the years to come from the framing from the colors used just from every single little thing Winifred is amazing played by Erin Kellyman who I do really like Erin Kellyman but that is partly due to the fact that she shares the same birthday as me and she's from the same town as me <laughs> so maybe if she can make it I can make it one day <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, I do like her and it was good to see her in this film, but it's just very strange. It's a very, very strange, strange scene. She's she's a ghost, okay, but she doesn't really seem like a ghost and she's actually beheaded. She's decapitated at the time and she wants Garwin to go into the lake, go into the spring to get her head. 
but he's questioning it because her head's on her body, her head's attached to her shoulders and neck. But then it isn't until he finds the skull in the bottom of the spring, and this shot is just gorgeous. This whole moment when he's leaping into the water, the reds, the colours used, the stars elements, everything is just, oh my god, it's gorgeous. Okay, it's gorgeous. And so he gets the head, he retrieves the head, goes back into the house to put it on the set of bones that's lying in bed, and then he looks down at the head, and it's Erin Kellyman's head. Like, her head has come back to life, and then he drops it, and it just rolls on the floor. And I'm thinking, what? Like, what is going on? <laughs> Why is there a head that turned from a skull to a real person's head, and is now just rolling about on the floor? I don't know what's going on. I do not know what's going on, but it's fantastic. And then he puts the head back, and it's gorgeous. And things like this happen because he needs to retrieve his items. And so this gives him the axe back. Later on, another scene gives him his belt back. Then he gets his horse back. So little things like this, they need to happen in order to progress the story further and kind of set him back on his course. But it does just beg the question, what in the actual hell is going on? I don't know. I don't know. But then he meets a fox. I am just going chronological. I'm sorry, but this is just how I need to do this review. He meets a fox, very cute little fox. Then they meet giants. And these giants are naked. These are massively tall, big, bald-headed women, naked giants. I don't know what the hell is going on, but they start hooing, and the fox hoos to try and, I don't know, speak to them? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and then they all just stand there, naked, fully naked, just hanging everything out there. Giant titan-like women, standing there hooing, just ooh. I don't know what the hell is going on, I do not know. But it looks cool, I guess. It looks interesting. And sure, I'm all for him finding these magical creatures on his journey. I don't know. I do not know. I don't know what the point in the giant naked titan women being in it is. But maybe it's a metaphor I'm missing. I don't know. But he doesn't get a lift from the giant, sadly. So he keeps walking. And you know what? I'm glad. I'm very glad he doesn't get a lift from the giants. Because one of the best shots happens right after this. And... The camera's following him this time. Like with the very opening shot of him riding his horse out of Camelot, the camera's moving away from him, and he's moving towards the camera. This time, the camera's behind him, and it's slowly moving in towards him as he's walking away from it. And then, just when you think it can't get any more beautiful, because this location looks like somewhere on Giant's Causeway or something, it's beautiful, it's on this massive mountain top. absolutely stunning. But then, just when you think it can't get any better, the camera starts to do a 180 degrees roll roundwards. And so the shot ends up upside down, watching him carry on walking. I'm just thinking, God, I want that shot in my room. From this point onwards, you know, from the giants and, you know, he does actually eat some magic mushrooms, I'm pretty sure. So from this point onwards, everything is just upped even more as to what the hell is going on. Everything is just significantly more wacky and ridiculous. And I don't understand any of it, but I love it. Okay, I don't understand it, but I like it. Because he stumbles into this castle place, and Joel Edgerton's here. I love Joel Edgerton. I think he's a fantastic actor. He's so good in The Gift. A great director, as he is actor. In this film, he's great. In this film, he's very good, too. It just wasn't really what I was expecting. Like I wasn't expecting this kind of charisma and this kind of character from him. So I was thinking, yeah, okay, interesting. But then he meets Alicia Vikander again. But it's not her. <laughs> it's not Essel. It's not his lady. It's this... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who she is, but it's not Essel. It's not the Essel that he knows, but it's still Alicia Vikander. So it's the same actor. It's just not her. And at the same time, there's this old woman that's just there with a blindfold on. 
And it's never understood why she's there with the blindfold on, why she's there in general, who she is. She's just constantly around with a blindfold on. So they're having this amazingly deep conversation, Joel Edgerton and Dev Patel. I think that's the first time I've mentioned Dev Patel's name. Jesus, Dev Patel is fantastic in this film. He's so good in this film. Great actor. This is probably his best role yet. But yeah, they're having a really deep conversation between Garwin and the Lord. And this conversation goes on for a couple of minutes. And then the camera just pans to the side. And you've got Alicia Vikander and the old blindfolded woman just sitting there. They're just sitting there on this whole conversation. I'm thinking, how long have you been there? It's like Drax in Infinity War when he's just stood there pretending to be invisible. This feels like what they're doing in this. It feels exactly like that. They just sat there in the middle of this room whilst a really intense conversation's happening. Why? What? I don't know. I don't know anything. And then there's a bit of an intimate moment with Alicia Vikander and Dev Patel. And I'm not even going to mention that because it's just, yeah, it's yeah whack. But then the whole time this happens, the blindfolded woman is back. She's just stood there in the corner of the room or in the hallway. And I'm thinking, what? That's genuinely quite creepy that she's just there. I don't even know why she's blindfolded. I don't know who she is. I really don't know. And I don't know how they would explain it. So I'm kind of glad they didn't because no amount of explanation would have solved who the hell she is, what the hell is going on. So, yeah, fair enough. Some things are better left unsaid. Anyway, what happens next? He leaves the castle, and then he goes into this forest to try and find the Green Chapel. And it's all yellow. The tint is just heavily yellow filtered. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's a really powerful colour palette to just have a significant yellow in this whole situation, in this whole forest. It's fantastic. Actually, I missed a bit before when Alicia Vikander speaks, and she says something about... Yeah, she has this really long monologue, which is beautiful. It's a brilliantly executed monologue. It's just, I cannot remember it because it's so deep and it's so kind of really unique. But the main thing that she says is how, is this Green Knight human? Is this of the Earth? And then Dev Patel's like, well, Garwin, he's like, no, it's not. It's just some weird creature. And then she goes, but why is he green? Because green is the colour of the Earth, is it not? Green is the colour of life. So then it kind of gives you the impression that is it just a metaphor for something deeper here is this life punishing us like we punish life oh my god i've just i've just worked it out i've literally just worked it out so the humans decapitate the green knight the humans destroy the earth the humans are destroying this life and then eventually in a year's time the earth is just going to destroy it back that's exactly what it is jesus christ took me two watches and a review to discover what that meant and now i've just found it out yeah, okay, I can stop this pretty much, yeah. I can go home, I'm done. That's actually genius. I love that so much. But yeah, back to the yellow tint place. Goes into the forest, it's all yellow. Then the fox starts talking, and I'm thinking, okay, this isn't even the weirdest thing that's happened in this film. Genuinely, the fox talking doesn't do anything more for this weird film. Then he finds a chapel, and here's the thing. This is when one of the most powerful scenes of a recent movie has happened. But at the same time... It just kind of annoys me a bit. It kind of makes me confused in an annoying way. Because he arrives at the chapel and the Green Knight is asleep. And then, this is a very clever bit actually. When he arrives there, when he's looking at the Green Knight's face, it starts to morph and it starts to change into different characters' faces. Only very, very vaguely. You can only just tell. But you're struggling to work out who it is. And I read up and apparently it's 
Joel Edgerton's face, then it's Sean Harris, King Arthur's face, then it's Alicia Vikander's face, and then eventually it's Dev Patel's face as well, reflected back at him. So I'm thinking, that's gorgeous, that's really cleverly done, it's very good. But then he wakes up and he says, is it Christmas? And I'm thinking, if he didn't even know it was Christmas, why have you come? You could have just stayed at home, you could have just chilled, just been like, don't need to live up to my end of the bargain, because he, he forgot, he hasn't even remembered. <laughs> is it Christmas? No. He could have just said no, go home, bye. And then he asks, do you recall where you cut me? And I'm thinking, just make something up. If he's having to ask that, just say your leg, just kick you in the leg, chop your arm off, I don't know, just don't cut your head off, but no. Of course he says, yes, yes, I beheaded you, blah, blah, blah. Then he kneels down to get the blow given back to him. And then he panics and he runs away. Okay, he flinches twice. Then he runs away. Now this bit, this goes into about a 20 minute scene, maybe 15 minute scene. No dialogue. No dialogue. It's fantastic. It's beautifully told in kind of storybook fashion. The journey home, he makes it home. Is he a hero? Is he a coward? To me, he's a coward. To me, he's a coward. But then, he gets knighted. Then he gets to become king. Then, God, then he gets Alicia Vikander pregnant. He gets Essel pregnant. Takes a baby. Then gets another wife. What? What is going on? Like, I don't understand. Why is he getting... I literally wrote down here. Why did they take the baby? I don't know. Why is he getting a new lady? Why is he getting this new lady? I don't know what's going on. And then I also wrote down quality street wrapper dress. <laughs> this is because this is because you look at the dress that the new queen, the new woman that he's going to marry is wearing. <laughs> and all I could think of was she looks like she's a quality street. It just looks like, it just looks like she's wearing a dress made up of chocolate wrappers, but it's all white colored, it's all cream colored. But yeah, just paint quality street wrappers cream. And you've got this. And I'm not even going to... Oh, God. I'm not even going to mention how he could paint them cream-coloured. <laughs> Jeez. If you've seen the film, you'll know. Oh, God, that is so bad. Anyway, I do like the fact that I said quality street wrapper dress. Because it is. It is a quality street wrapper dress. And I don't know why she's in this film. I don't know why he gets a new wife. I don't know why he's marrying this woman that's not Essel. I don't know what's going on. I really don't know if this is some sort of ritual that kings have to go through. I don't know if Essel's too poor for him. I don't know. I don't know. And then I was thinking, maybe do they take the baby because it's a girl? Maybe because it's not a son, it's not an heir to the throne that he wants. Is that why they're taking the baby? But no, it is a boy. It's a little boy. And he still takes it anyway. And he leaves Essel just crying and screaming out for a baby. And I'm thinking, this is just horrible. What is going on? <laughs> what is actually going on? But yeah, there's no dialogue through this scene. There's just music. There's just the score happening. And it goes through a very long time. It goes across many years. He's getting older. He's going grey. His son grows up. His son dies, which is quite tragic. And then eventually he's sitting on the throne with his wife and they're under attack. Everybody leaves. He stays there. He's just sitting there and he takes out the belt that he was wearing that promised to keep him protected and not let any harm come to him. And he takes it out and then his head falls off. His head just plops off rolls on the floor, and he dies. Then it cuts back to him at the chapel again, and he's about to be decapitated. So it turns out this whole 15-minute, 20-minute thing that's happening, this whole scene, it was just a vision. It was a vision of what would have happened if he had run off, what would have happened if he had escaped and he had just, you know, cowardly ran away from his fate. And it kind of makes me glad that he didn't, because 
he has lauded a hero when he gets back and he's made a knight, he's made a king. But why? Because if anybody knows anything, he should have had his head chopped off. And everybody was under the impression that he was not going to come back because he would be killed. But if he has come back, why is he being lauded a hero? Because he's clearly not done what he should have done. And he's just ran away. So he's ran away. He's been a coward. And he gets all this praise and attention when he gets back. And he gets a new queen. He gets a baby. Like, what is going on? But yeah, turns out that was all a vision. That was all a look at what could have happened. And I like that. I do like that. And I think especially the way it's told with no dialogue, it's beautiful. It's really, really stunning. So then he takes the belt off and he lets the Green Knight have at him. He lets him supposedly chop his head off, but that's when it ends. It ends now off with your head. I think that's a great line to end it on because the way the Green Knight says it, it does leave the impression, is he joking? Is he being serious? There is an ambiguity to it and then it just ends. And I think that's great because you can make up your own assumptions from it. He could die. He could live. Either way, this is what could have happened. We've seen what could have happened. We kind of know what would happen if he did stay and get his head chopped off because, you know, he'd die. (laughs) It's pretty self-explanatory. But I think to get both angles on what could happen, I love that. I think it's great because so many other films, they could have just trimmed off 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the runtime and just had him killed right at the very end. But no, David Lowry chooses to add on this scene and it works. It works really well. I think it's beautiful, but it is very questionable and strange and confusing. And yeah, it's very, it's very odd. It's very, very odd. But that's it. That is The Green Knight. Right there, that is the film ended. Two hours, ten minutes. Doesn't feel like that long at all. Feels like an hour and forty. There are some moments where it drags a little bit, but it is a very slow and very brooding film. But it's fantastic. It's a real slow burner that pays to be slow burning. And I think people probably will be disappointed that there's not really any action. There's not really any major fantasy elements. But at the same time, there are. You know, the fantasy elements don't have to be explicitly fantastical. They can be very subtle. And that's exactly what this film is. It deals with subtlety on a tremendous level. It's shot beautifully. It's directed fantastically. Edited really well too. It's a really gorgeous film. It's definitely not for everybody. That's the thing. It's certainly not for everybody. And people will find it boring at times. People will find it dull. People will be confused. I'm confused, but I still love it. And yeah, I think what David Lowry's made here, it's one of the best films of the year. It is one of the best films. But at the same time, it could be one of the most confusing and biggest WTF films. Because I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know what's going on. For the most part, I didn't enjoy it, but I loved it. So I think, yeah... It's very well done, very well told. It's definitely one for more cinephile audience like myself. It's not really for a casual blockbuster audience. I don't think it's going to get a wide release at the cinema. I think the types of places you'll see this shown will tend to be independent and smaller branches of cinemas. So I don't think you'll see this kind of film in big multiplexes. I do not think that at all. I think it kind of could, but it is being shown on Prime. So maybe some people will see it advertised and they'll think, you know what, I'll give it a go. I'll watch a new Prime film. Because Prime films, here's the thing, Prime films may not always be the best, but they are gorgeous. They look fantastic. A lot of Amazon Prime films are some of the best looking films to be released on a streaming platform. Because, I mean, Netflix, Netflix has its moments where it's very good, but for a lot of it, it does tend to be just real low-level stuff churned out again and again but with Prime they take their time with everything and it is just gorgeous and this is one of the best. Yes it isn't officially Amazon Prime because it's made and distributed by A24 and Lionsgate over in America so yeah it's not really an Amazon Prime film here but that's where it's being distributed so you gotta say it is I guess. 
Either way, the Green Knight, it's one of a kind. It really is one of a kind. It's an interesting tale that we've not heard before, unless you've read the poem, of course, but not seen on screen before. And that's great, because I am getting sick and tired of the same old Excalibur nonsense, you know, again and again. So it makes a change to see a different Arthurian legend at the forefront of it all. And I would love to see more along this similar wavelength. That being said, I may be in the minority for saying that, because I don't think many other people who have sat through this film will possibly want to see more of it. So, yeah, each to their own. I thought it was great. I thought it was stunning. Dev Patel's fantastic. Everybody acts very, very well in this film. It's just, yeah, not for everybody. Definitely not everybody's cup of tea. But it certainly is mine, and I probably will watch it again when it comes out on Prime. I mean, when it's Christmas, that's when I'll watch it again, because I'm watching this on Prime. This is the first day it's been released. I'm watching it on Prime, obviously. Obviously. But I am going to watch it at Christmas, because Christmas film. I said it, it's a Christmas film. Maybe every family should suggest playing a game like this at Christmas. You know, forget Scrabble, forget Monopoly. That's going to end in tears. Play this kind of game. Play a Christmas game where somebody beheads another person. I shouldn't say that. That's going to, yeah. No, I retract that comment. I retract it. But, you know, it's up there. Christmas movie. Same with Iron Man 3. Same with Die Hard. Good film. Very good film. I enjoyed it. I hope everybody else does too. Finally, it's come out. Finally, it's here. It has been completely mugged off with the UK release, though. I'm still not happy about it. I'm very, very angry with them. Because we could have had it over a month ago. Almost two months by the time it gets released on Prime. So, yeah. The Green Knight. Finally, it's here. It's worth every minute of the wait, in my opinion. And so, yeah, I love it. It's very good. Anyway, I think that's me done. Go and watch it. Go and be in awe of how gorgeous it is at times. Go and be confused by how strange it is. Go and be unnerved by how creepy it can get at times, I guess. It's not an explicit horror film. It's not really a massively scary film. It's just some of the moments are quite creepy. And the Green Knight himself is, you know, pretty sinister. But at the same time, pretty beautiful. So, anyway, that's me done. I've been Kieran, this has been The Green Knight, and I shall speak to you in the next episode of You Can't Handle the Truth.